0: This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sararaven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow Cookie Range, the podcast with me, Sarah Raven, and a regular visitor, guest, speaker on the podcast, Josie Lewis, who's our head gardener here at Perch Hill. And because it's so early in the new year and well, extreme weather. Wet Christmas, rain, wind, frost, snow, they're all kind of in our minds. We actually thought we'd just take a sidestep from talking about plants and gardening and talk about, well, gardening, but gardening in extreme weather. And what we are aware of, and particularly Josie running the garden, with each of those things. So whether it's like um, it's been very cold recently, so frost and snow, or whether it's been very windy which it has recently or whether you've got torrential rain how do each of those things affect your garden and is there anything you can do to combat that so welcome again Josie thank you very much shall we start perhaps with with frost so given that it's been cold for the pretty much the first time in two or three months hasn't it what's the number one thing you think when you come into the garden at Perchill Hill and it's a frosty morning So if there's frost on the ground, don't walk on the grass is the first
1: thing. Stick stick to the paths. Uh, The grass may look nice and white and crunchy, uh, but all those little blades are frozen. So if you walk on them, you break them. So Mm. it's not ideal to to walk over the grass. So stick to the paths if you can. Mm. And going back to the autumn... One of the things we tend not to do is clear up the garden too mm. much. Yeah. So a lot of things like heleniums and asters and will all have their top growth still on them. Yeah. You know, not only does it provide seeds for the birds, you know, there'll still be some left at this time of year. It protects all the, the plant growth that's at soil level. So it just has that sort of it produces like a little microclimate. Mm. Um, so it mm-hmm. can protect from severe frost it just helps a little bit yeah uh, and and it also provides somewhere for insects to overwinter so don't in autumn don't be over enthusiastic by tidying up
0: yeah very true I mean it, it, the thing that that we've really noticed here at Perch Hill is that we can now overwinter a plant and I know this is in Sussex But Pelargonium Ator of Roses is something that I used to think of as a completely tender perennial. It hails from South Africa. I'm sure you all know it. It's that wonderful, fragrant, not particularly flowery, but really fantastic scented-leaf Pelargonium with very bright green leaves and soft pink flowers used a lot in the perfume industry. Anyway, one year we were busy and we just didn't dig the plants up. We just left them and we didn't dig them up when they'd been frosted. And then it, they were in the herb garden, actually, uh, just by the French tarragon. And then come late March, we suddenly noticed that they were breaking from the base and up they were shooting again. And it's because we'd left the tops on. So they'd created their own mulch with their leaves, if you see what I mean, and that had protected them. And it is quite a sheltered, sunny um, sort of plateau garden, that, the rose and Herb Garden. And maybe, it, you know, that wouldn't work in a colder spot or in a frost pocket but but here at Perch Hill, or if you can think of somewhere that's your most sheltered spot, wherever you are, then leave the tops on, even when they're frosted. So if we hit a cold snap now, don't rush out the next day and cut off all the singe tops. Leave them where they are. They look quite brown and sludgy, don't they, yeah. by
1: by spring, but that's still doing a job, yeah.
0: covering the roots. Exactly. And the other thing that I really associate a frost with is... Josie last year did this brilliant trial of I mean we plant many many thousands of tulip bulbs and we just had such a depressing thing about five years ago that Josie and the gardeners would plant a whole lot of bulbs in lasagnas in our pots and they'd go home and in the night either squirrels or possibly rats had eaten certainly the top two layers of bulbs and if they'd been freshly planted they were the ones they went for so if they smell of something I don't know Anyway, so last winter, so the winter 22-23, we did a trial here of all the different systems that we've read about, including chili flakes, which is what we had done, chili powder, also done in the past, rolling them in chili powder before planting, putting holly sticks over the top and putting chicken wire over the top. Anyway, the two that were the most successful was pruning our roses, the thornier the better, cutting them into little sort of 45 centimetre lengths, piling them up like Jenga games in the corner of the garden and then using them as soon as the barbed lasagnas went in. And that and planting pot toppers over the top. But I associate that with frost on them because they look really lovely. Again, like sort of sculptures over all the pots uh, covered in frost. And it keeps, genuinely keeps the rodents off them. And so we've stopped worrying about that now. And if you're in a city with tons of grey squirrels, I passionately recommend that. So if they're not already covered, get out there, because in the cold, any rodent will be hungrier than it, than it would when there's tons of food around.
1: Yeah, when I, when I came back in after Christmas, the pots down by the Chelsea Shed had been dug out ah. because we hadn't put the prunings on them. Ah, <laughs> there we are. So we hadn't got round to those. No, because they're far away.
0: Yeah. What else, Josie, in frost particularly that you think of? Uh... uh if you've planted new evergreens
1: in autumn, then I, I would probably fleece them if it's going to be severe yeah. frost. you know, if, if it's just down to naught degrees, they should be fine. But if they forecast prolonged frost, then I would get some fleece out okay. and, and protect anything newly planted like that.
0: Very good. And then moving on to the next thing of coldness, which is... Every year here, really bizarrely, it tends to be March that we get snowed in. We certainly did in December 22, um, we got snowed in, but also in spring, in March 23. So w- what do we need to think about with snow? I mean, I know snow actually insulates some things, doesn't it? But is there anything we need to think about?
1: Yes. Uh, the only time I would move snow off off a shrub or a tree, if it's threatening to break the branches, really, when it's that really heavy, wet snow Mm. Uh, you know people tend to go out rush out and knock all the snow off things but yeah. in fact it like you say it's an insulating layer and you're you're then exposing it to more cold so if it's not breaking or damaging anything i, I would leave the snow on the shrubs or you know whatever you've got and you know, if you've put out your hardy annuals which oh, yeah. we would recommend in autumn and if if there is heavy frost or snow forecast then here we tend to cover them with those cloche tunnels you know either fleece tunnels and we've got some really ancient tunnels and with lights like perforated plastic yeah but they've lasted when they were here before I was so yeah that's amazing isn't it yeah but they let the air through uh, and they just provide that really protected area for the um, hardy annuals or you know anything slightly tender like that well not tender
0: and then uh, things like snow on greenhouses. Do, do you worry that it's going to break the panes, or not, not really? Not really. No, we don't no. get we don't get enough snow no. in this country, and, really. And
1: again, it's the same thing. It's
0: insulating yeah. the glass house all the time that it's there. Okay. And then both in frost and snow, of course, remember the wildlife. So obviously, bird baths need to be thawed. I mean, I think about this very much because I have chickens. I have hens. And so as soon as it's really cold, I go down with a kettle just off the boil to the hen run and I thaw out their water. But obviously any wild birds need water too. It's absolutely essential for them. And they need food. And if everything's covered with snow, then uh, put out fat balls, hang them in a tree that they can see. Or quite often if I've got pots on a table, I just scatter fat balls over the table and... That works fine. Although, again, be careful. If you're not hanging them, then rodents can be a problem. So uh, squirrel-proof feeders are really, really handy for seeds and things, particularly when everything's hungry.
1: Yeah, and then as as we move closer into spring, we, as well as food, we put out our sheep's wool. Yes. So they can use that to build their nests with. Yeah. Using an old bird feeder, we stuff that full of full of sheep's wool and then they can just use that to, and they do don't they they come and pick really it out. they really do uh, i remember
0: Anita Oakes, who's who's a gardener here until a couple of years ago and who's who's absolutely uh, incredibly knowledgeable and passionate about garden birds i remember her making uh, stuffing one of the round um, fat ball holders down at, at just outside our kitchen window and me thinking it was a kind of dream trapper or something and feeling it was a bit too cookie for me. But, gra- you know, within a week, the whole thing had entirely gone. Yes, yeah. And they just really do use it to line their nests and protect themselves in their roosts, et cetera. Yes. So just bearing that yeah. in mind as well. Good. And then relevant increasingly to our very wet springs, what about heavy rain, Josie? Yeah, well, that's
1: quite quite relevant for now, isn't it? We've had so much rain; Christmas mm. was so wet, and all the awful flooding we've had recently. So pots you have to give immediate attention to. They should be up on bricks anyway. Uh, but if you're noticing that the that there's standing water on top of a pot, then <laughs> hold on, doggies, <laughs> it's really. Nice
0: we're trying to record here
1: (laughs) oh dear okay (laughs) Uh, so if you notice you've got pots with standing water on top of them and it's not pouring with rain then you'll know that they're not draining and so they need immediate attention so they, they could be you think you put them in the shelter of a shed but of course the gutter might be overflowing and just really filling them up Uh, But, of course, the other thing is the the hole in the bottom might be blocked. Mm. Of course, we've had this in our whopper pots, didn't we, in the Mm. Oast Garden. Mm. So it's sort of a two or three person job to tip them on their sides without tipping the contents out. Yeah, And then the person who draws the short straw has to go underneath the pot and poke around with a screwdriver. And we found that we'd use polystyrene thinking, you know, we'll use our polystyrene to yeah. to crock the bottom of the pots. But, of course, it was a flat piece of polystyrene to completely blocked the yeah. pot. Um, so we once we'd poked it with a screwdriver and made a new hole, then all the water gushed out and the the compost eventually dried out. But, you know, it is really important to have your pots up on bricks so they can... Drain away. I'm going to
0: interrupt you, Josie, because you might pick up slightly odd noise in the background here, <laughs> which is our dogs have just come in from a very, very wet walk. And so they are scraping themselves on the bits of furniture and on the carpet to try and dry them. And I can't get them a towel because I'm doing the podcast. So if you hear funny noises, then you'll know what it is. But it's very relevant because we're talking about heavy rain. rain. <laughs> so they're, they're, carry on, Josie. They're being very entertaining, and <laughs> I'm
1: trying to ignore them. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so that's pots. Uh, also, if you've mulched your dahlias in the autumn, and you, you, you should have lovely molehills over the tubers in your garden. Uh, in the heavy rain, this tends to wash away. So keep going back uh, mm. and checking that the molehills are still there. And if you've got more mulch to add, that's, that's ideal, really. Uh, you, want, you want that mound so the rain is diverted off the centre of the, the tubers, really. Um, and the other thing you might notice is puddling on the soil surface. So if if we walk too much on an area of soil, which you shouldn't be doing anyway when it's wet, then you'll know that that bit of ground soil needs to be aerated. So the, the puddling yes. really shows up and it, it's quite good really to go and look at your garden immediately after rain and yes. you'll see where where it's compacted soil yeah Uh, so yeah treat it don't ignore it
0: yeah very good so all really good tips and I guess the final one is really really windy and obviously I mean we have a we have a a beautiful old oak tree here which worries us whenever it's windy because it does tend to scatter its boughs slightly I mean it's probably 400 years old Uh, but apart from obvious health and safety issues is there other things Josie that we really need to bear in mind yes uh,
1: I mean, you notice it particularly with roses. You get windrock, and they they form that collar, don't they? Where the the stem goes into the ground, where they where they circle round, that's where that'll then fill with rain, and Mm. then that'll rot. So that's you know absolute no no for your roses. So if you see it happening, I tend to loosen the soil on that collar, Mm. and you can either fill it with compost, Mm -hmm. or so it it's not filling with water. Uh, and just loosen loosen the, loosen the soil fill it with compost and then settle it down again not not putting your heel to it but just with your with your hands pushing it in around the rose just to keep it stable and then taking the top third off you know if they're really tall roses yes. they catch the wind are the same uh take the top third off now you're not going you're not cutting down to march levels at this time of year where you go much lower for buddleias but I mean roses you could prune now. But if if you're thinking, oh you know, there's this gale coming, I need to do something, just take quickly take the top third off with shears or hedge cutter yeah. or, or whatever. Uh, that'll stop a lot of the rock. And, and then the do more
0: precise pruning at a later date. Exactly. When it's not so horrible. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So lots of tips there for the not very cheerful wind, rain, well, quite cheerful frost and snow. But hopefully there are some things there that you didn't know that you need to think about gardening with an increasingly extreme climate. Thank you, Josie. Okay, nice to talk to you again. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Coquita Range. And I hope it was helpful getting some tips mainly from Josie on winter gardening. So wind, snow, frost and heavy, heavy rain. Next week, I'm joined by Helen Rebanks on a much more, what feels to me, cheery, spring-like subject. She's written this wonderful book called The Farmer's Wife about farming in the north of England with her husband, James, and everything from lambing to cape-making to bringing up children and really the day-to-day detail of A Farmer's Wife. I absolutely love the book and I love talking to her, so I hope you'll join me for that next week. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.